You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. Welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. I am your host, Ben Wolf. Uh, today, we're going to learn from our guest how she took her work in the mental health field in which many people operate their businesses as sole proprietorships, and how she used a guiding principle of don't compete, collaborate, uh, to grow her business using a real win-win approach. Uh, and so I'm, I'm happy to welcome her today. And in the spirit of win-win, we're going to continue the theme of this podcast, which is not just featuring awe-inspiring stories of successful entrepreneurs, um, but hopefully bringing on people who are sharing information, tips, tools that people listening out there in the entrepreneurial community can put to use right away, things which add value to them and their businesses. Uh, so our guest today is a clinical psychologist who's both a PhD and an LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, she's licensed in New York and New Jersey. Uh, she has significant postgraduate training in the treatment of trauma and of adolescence. She's a sought-after speaker. I've even heard her speak at my daughter's high school, talking to teenage girls about the dangers and benefits of social media, as well as important principles of digital citizenship. Uh, she has an article together with Michael Karyev in a forthcoming book uh, that's about to come out, Creative Arts Therapies in the LGBTQ Community. It's coming out on Amazon. Uh, her article, or their article, focuses on the stresses felt by LGBTQ individuals experiencing religion-based conflict. Uh, she is the founder of both the uh, Five Towns Wellness Center and the Soul Wellness Clinic in New York City. Uh, you can see the information on one of those at, uh, at www.5twc.com. That's 5twc.com. And so without further ado, I welcome Dr. Sarah Gluck. Wow, thank you. That You really did your research. I'm honored to be here and to share whatever <laughs> I can. Absolutely. Well, I, I know you have a lot to share. I've, I've heard, you know, I've heard about you or heard you speak for years. And um, so uh, so let's jump right in. Uh, I guess, first of all, uh, for a little background before we talk about some of the scaling and the business side of, uh, of, of a mental health practice, um, which is um, like, what gets you out of bed every day? Like, what's your what's your driving motivation? Like, what what, what are you after in, in, in what you're doing and what you're building in your work today? That's a great question. I think if I had to point to one thing that I'm most passionate about in terms of the work I do every day, it's helping people develop the voice with which to express what they need. There are so many people I work with who have a hard time expressing themselves and being heard. One of those categories of people are children. I find that in the busyness and the hecticness of our current lives, children are often like dumped in the car, brought to school, expected to sit in a desk, and there's pat right they're like passive participants in their lives and then when they start acting up because something's not working they get consequences and there's it, it not it doesn't happen often enough that someone says to the child what's going on for you how are you feeling mm -hmm. what happened so when children come into my office that's an opportunity for me to say okay let me hear you and once I hear you, I can then be your voice and talk to all of the people in your life and help them better mm. accommodate your needs. And eventually I'll teach you how to do that on your own. Mm. Uh, another category of people who have a hard time expressing their needs are victims or, and survivors of trauma. When people survive trauma, what happens is the parts of their brain responsible for speech often get compromised. Mm. 
and it's really biologically difficult what do you mean? Is for this them. Is like a certain age or, or any type of trauma? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. So, uh, for example, someone's in a car accident, right? And at the moment of the car accident, they're overwhelmed. So their body goes into fight, flight, freeze. Their functions that are unnecessary, like such as speech, not necessary for survival, those functions shut down. Once that happens, the person's ability to express what happened at the time of the accident is compromised because in so the moment of trauma, they've been effect, exactly, the exactly. Mm -hmm. And if that trauma happens at an early developmental stage, the inability to speak your feelings can last mm -hmm. and it can generalize to all different kinds of life situations. I had not even heard that before. Yeah. If you look at the hippocampuses, which is the center of the brain responsible for communicating and changing feelings into words, in women who are survivors of sexual abuse in particular, the hippocampus actually literally shrinks in Does size. And you can see that on a brain scan. Hmm. There are also all these different effects on the limbic system. Uh, so one of the things I specialize in is therapies that help repair that part of the brain. And when I see someone who struggled to speak, learn how to say what they're feeling and to say what right. they need from the people around them, that's what gets me out of bed every day. How, how did you get how did you get into uh, I mean again before we talked about the business side how did you get into you know I, I mentioned all of your extensive trauma uh, training and 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 I know that in the you know in the communities in which you work that is something that you're known for how did how did you get started in that So in 2005 I was in grad school and like trying to figure out what I would do I was in, my first degree was social work I mm -hmm. took a sand play therapy training. Uh, sand play therapy is a modality of treatment that doesn't involve necessarily needing to speak. Uh, people are presented with thousands of little miniature items and they can create a world in the sand tray, literal sand tray, like mm -hmm. uh, 20 by 24 inches full of sand. Uh, they can create a world that represents how they feel or what they may be thinking or experiencing. And I learned how to perform sand play therapy. I came back to the little clinic that I was interning at, and they said, you're really going to bring sand into the office? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're sure about this? So they gave me a little room in the basement and said, you know what, Sarah, you can do your weird thing, but do it in the basement. That's fine. Here's some shelves, and I carted in all the sand tray down stuff. To your, down to your exile. Exactly. <laughs> and then they realized that they had some patients at the clinic who were having a hard time speaking like kids um, and you know and even some adults so they said you know what we have this weird therapist in the basement like she does sand why don't you go do that and what I found was that 60% of those people had been through some sort of intense trauma and I realized mm. that the modality of treatment was attracting people who had been traumatized I then went Is and this only referring to like sexual abuse or could it be like somebody whose parent committed suicide when they were young. Yes. I mean, could it be anything? Yeah. So in terms of trauma, um, the definition of trauma is complex according to like the clinical diagnosis and the DSM, which is that big book of diagnoses. Uh, trauma refers to an incident or multiple incidents in which a person feels their life is in danger. So that would be like a basic definition. Mm -hmm. And that could be for a young child when their parent passes away. Mm -hmm. or when someone's part of like a holdup at a supermarket and feels right. they may be shot or sexual abuse or domestic violence or witnessing right. one 
one or any of those. So uh, I went and got additional training in treating trauma because I realized that was what I was somehow attracting. Right. And then I proceeded to get a PhD and to uh, learn how to do art therapy, EMDR, somatic experiencing, you know, all the range of modalities that can help people who've been through trauma. Well, that's amazing. I mean, if you talk about it, you know. We could talk about this for hours. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and like in a business, you know, there's always, you know, there's a big, there's a big focus on not, not the what, you know, what, you know, I'm, I'm the best uh, widget maker in town, but, you know, but the why and, uh, you know, what am I doing for others? You know, what, what gets me out of bed? What makes this something that is a driving force for me? Um, and, uh, and um, so, you know, what you're describing about giving a, giving a voice to, people who've I mean in a certain way physiologically literally lost their voice uh, because of something horrible that they've gone through um, you know and giving them back a voice first by advocating for them and then by teaching them how to get that themselves is certainly it's an amazing amazing uh, amazing way to uh, you know to or reason I should say to uh, you know to get up and, and do what you do um, and the truth is, you know, when you when you could scale a business like that, that's making um, uh, making people's lives better, then you're not just scaling a business, you know, just for the sake of a business. It's it's helping more people uh, because you couldn't help that many people if you were mm-hmm. just with the number of hours that you have in a day where you could physically see people. Yes, exactly. Um, so talking about so to, you know to to get onto that and you know and again I think this is really valuable for people to hear and to think about because. Uh, there's all kinds of you know there's there's all kinds of uh, there's all kinds of therapists and dentists and and uh, and doctors and 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 all kinds of people in all kinds of fields that have what you'd call a sole proprietorship um, and uh, it's you know very common for people to you know treat those things just as essentially as an overgrown job it's really just you know the number of hours I could work in a day or a week is the money that I make and if I go on vacation I make no money. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's certainly not scalable, and it's just limited to a certain size. Uh, so to turn um, a sole proprietorship into a business, it's a very very different thing. It's not an overgrown job; it's a business. It's something that you can go on vacation from, and it continues running without you. Um, and that's uh, that's a huge huge difference. So obviously, I know that's something I think that's really really valuable for people to learn about um, in you know in this in this entrepreneurial community. Mm-hmm. Um, so so in terms of scaling a business like that. Um, one thing you mentioned was some of your personal business principles, um, you know, which was which was you said you know you, you had told me earlier that you, you want to create a platform for people for people to build on, and not subject them to a, a top-down hierarchical approach. So can you say something about what what that approach is and and how you use that in scaling your business? Sure, I think the most important part of my company of my team I really call it my team is that we're very passion focused when you walk into our office it looks like a nice living room we're not corporate style in terms Mm -hmm. of the way our company feels we want everyone clinicians and clients to feel the warmth as soon as they walk into our door and to feel supported so Mm -hmm. this is not a um this is not like a cold money-making sort of corporation. This is one that's really built from the ground up on helping people 
and making sure that the quality of work that we produce is something that we can be proud of and that can be really effective. And how do you do that on a grander scale than what you would just do decorating and an and office and, and setting the tone just by the way you do business? How do you do that when you start bringing in more and more people? Right. That's a good question. My idea that I have when I bring people into my business is firstly, I hire people that I trust and respect people who I don't need to scrutinize their work because I already know that they have similar values to those that I have. They're also passion focused. They also really, really, really care about the quality of work that they're providing. So that's like probably the most important part of what I do and why it works right. is that I have the best team. It makes my job really match. easy. Yes. And, and how do you, when you're meeting new people, how do you know, how do you, how do you determine if they're those kinds of people? Oh, we just like kind of haze them. No, I put them <laughs> through a three-step interview process. I meet okay. them and I like everyone, so I'm not the best judge. You know, I'm just like, you're great. So then I have my <laughs> team meet them uh, and then I meet the person again. And okay. through those steps, we get to see if their values match and if they'll mesh with the team. Our team is a really important part of what we do because when uh, people look for a therapist, it's hard to trust that this therapist will be the one that can help you. But when they hear, you know what, we have a child study team that meets every week. We have supervision, everyone in the practice is supervised. That gives people a sense of trust in knowing that when I see this therapist, I'm actually getting the benefit of combined years of experience of all the people right. around him or her. In terms of the model, uh, it when I hire clinicians, uh, I like to use the approach with them of come on in this is a place where you can grow. I would like to be your support. I don't want to mold you to be the next me. We already have a me. I want mm -hmm. you to be the best you. So not all of my clinicians are trauma-focused clinicians. Mm -hmm. Some of them specialize in marriage counseling or childhood anxiety or ADHD or adolescent at-risk behavior. And for each person in the first year, they tend to just get general information, you know, learn how to treat the range of childhood disorders and adult presenting problems and family related issues. In year two, I talk with them about how would you like to direct your career? And then we make sure they get the right training outside of our practice and within our practice so they can grow. So from the start, people feel supported and mm -hmm. they feel like we're not trying to control you. We are here for you. That model makes people want to stay and uh something that's unique about my practice also is i don't have a non-compete after people leave so in the contracts that we have i may say if you ever choose to leave i bless you with success you can take all your clients because that's what's in the best interest mm. of your clients if they want to continue treatment with you wait, so, that's wait, fine. so not only do you not not only do you not have a non-compete you don't even have a non-solicit is that what exactly Mm -hmm. I want you to, I, it looks better for us if you leave this practice and go on to achieve great success. And if you are here, I want you to be here because you want to be here, not mm -hmm. because you have a solid ironclad contract. Mm -hmm. And we have an amazing staff retention rate because people want to stay. Thank God. You know, I've been blessed with staff that sticks around. Right. That, that is amazing. What and one of the things you said to me also was that one of your philosophies is, and I mentioned it in the introduction also, is don't compete, collaborate. Uh, what, is it, what does that mean? How do, what does that mean and how do you use that? Yes. Okay. 
the way I use that is uh, as follows. At the first year that I started the Five Towns Wellness Center, I invited all of the local practices, psychology practices, to come and have a networking event, have some wine and cheese with us. And we talked about how we're starting off this practice and we would like to work with all of the people here in the community who have already been doing this. How, why is that good? That's good because we can better service clients when we're aware of the other resources that are available in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And those relationships become the way that we maintain our business. If we have a great relationship with all the local therapists, that means that they'll be quicker to refer clients to us. They'll have trust in our technique. Somebody that they can't help, they'll refer to you. And exactly. And, and we refer out. So uh, I find that therapists or people in any business who feel really scared to share ideas and to share resources, they limit the scope of the growth of their company because they can only achieve so much. But if you have a more of a collaborative mentality and you're more welcoming uh, and giving to the people around you, you open up an entire network that's more infinite. Impossibility. One, one of the things you mentioned was you said you were laughed for it, you were laughed at for it, but that it works. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why are people laughing at that? Oh, but, but when I started doing that, you know, people said, "Oh, Sarah, you're like such a hippie. You have this peace-love approach to business. How is your company ever going to grow? You know, you think that you can just be nice to everyone and then you'll make." like you'll have a company but people are just going to steal your ideas and your staff and your clients uh -huh. you know right, but that right. did not happen it just i just felt in my gut like i wasn't going to be that businessy person it didn't work with my personality as a therapist to be like proprietary and hierarchical and bossy uh it just it didn't feel right so coming from the place of passion and what feels right to me and how i wanted to present to the people around me it worked and people didn't think it would work but we actually have great relationships with local schools and other doctors and therapists and it has been a real privilege to be in the five towns community and now also in new york city right what um what 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 evidence that you you said that you found evidence in in a book adam grant's give yes. and take for for this well what does he write there? How does that affect okay, you know, so how you do business? Really so what does that mean? So I did this. Um, this has always been my approach. And then one day I picked up Adam Grant's give and take. And I was like, oh, other people also do this crazy thing. That makes me mm -hmm. feel a little bit more like there's evidence. So what Adam Grant did, uh, he studied business. And he looked at who does better in business. He did a lot of research on this. Givers or takers. Mm -hmm. He breaks it down into four categories, and I highly recommend this book for anybody who's going into business, Adam Grant's Give and Take. But his basic theory is that givers do better over the long term because they're coming from this abundance mentality. And this, there, there's a spillover effect. If you feel you have enough to give to the people around you, you believe that the world has enough business for everyone, mm -hmm. and it'll be okay. You, you don't need to be so afraid and that brings a level of confidence in your work and it brings a sort of energy that people d like to be around right so that's the support yeah. for the model right 
And it, and it kind of r- it reminds me of something in economics too. You know, there's the uh, there's the, the zero sum game, which is you know, which is kind of the opposite of the scarcity mentality, uh, versus like the technologist approach in economics, which is you know basically you know the idea that uh, the idea that you know the more value people people provide to the world through their businesses, that it actually makes the pie itself bigger. You know, it's not that everyone's fighting; everyone has to fight over. Uh, you know, whatever slices of the pie that there is, you know, the pie actually, you know, the more people are out there, the more people are bringing value into the world, the pie just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, um, you know, rather than the uh, rather than the zero sum game mentality, which is just, you know, there's X amount and that's just it. Um, so it seems like you're, you're not uh, not not ascribing to that uh, to that zero sum game mentality. Exactly. In terms of psychotherapy, if we can support the clinicians around us and we can make the, what that does is it makes people see that oh you know what on Long Island therapy is something that people believe in we trust our local therapists and that makes them more likely to call us and our colleagues right 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 so right so right this one that sense can make the make the whole pie bigger um, so t- can you tell me more about the you know about the you know the, the way that your practice runs you know I, I guess you know you talked about how you bless people that you know if they would leave at some point but um, you know and, and open their own practice but a lot of times it is that people start off in a, in a clinic and then they uh, and then they may you know then go out and when they're you know as soon as they possibly can they go and start their own practice uh, and create another sole proprietorship <laughs> but um, but like you said people are staying they're not you know that's not happening as much um, so why is that? How do you how do you create a business you know where people want to build their want to build their own business you know as part of Five Towns Wellness or, or you know or, or Soul Wellness NYC or whatever, but where they're where they want to build their business with you and not go on on their own? How does that happen? It's important to give people room for growth in a company and to give them an. Pre- projection of what they can expect if they stay in the co- company over a long period of time. So, uh, is that, in, is that in writing just to, just to be clear? Cause I think this is yes. useful for people that you are, you have something that's a very clear statement of, you know, just, Oh, there's room for growth. Like as a general theory, but mm-hmm. no, you, you have a specific, uh, thing that you share with people so that they know there's a, a concrete path for growth with, you know, working together, you know, continuing to work together. Yes. Um, very open. I believe in transparency. When people uh, sign their initial contracts at my practice, I share with them what the tiers of growth within the practice look like. Mm-hmm. And that moves from being uh, an associate at the practice to eventually partnering into the practice. I got it. Okay. And that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's amazing. I mean, where you do see, where you do see people within your practice staying. Um, what's what's in the what's in the future for you what are your what, what are your goals what's your and if you ever heard of the term BHAG your big hairy audacious goal you know, <laughs> like, what's your what's what's your future look like one thing I do not want to do is I don't want to have all these different franchises of therapy practices because what I'd like to do is maintain a very personal quality controlled environment where I can make sure that every client in the care of my practice is receiving effective, compassionate treatment. And uh, I find that when you grow companies 
too big, sometimes that can compromise the quality control. So I'm not looking to um, take over the therapy world or anything like that. I would like to just continue to do what I do every day, which I love. You know, I, I run these companies, but I also spend a large part of my day just sitting on the floor covered in sand and paint and treating children mm-hmm. and then using EMDR to treat adults. Uh, and over time, I can see myself spending more time supervising other clinicians Mm-hmm. in addition to the clinical work that I do. Is there is there a way to to scale to scale the practice and maintain the quality control? I mean, is there a way to do that without necessarily your personal involvement? I mean, is there a path to that? There's a very very slow steady path to that, which is starting to happen, you know, with, o- over time. And that is the clinicians who have stayed in the practice for a long time who have been doing all this great work, over time they can start supervising other mm-hmm. clinicians. So that's something I'm very cautious about, but um, there is a way to scale to an extent. Right. Yes, I found that, that when I follow right what, people. yeah, and when I follow what I feel is right and I work from a gut place, the other things tend to flow. I don't worry too much about the numbers. I worry more about just doing good work. Right, that's amazing. Uh, one other, one other question is, uh, what is, what is a, what is a big mistake that other people make? Not you, and maybe you mm-hmm. did make this mistake. But like, what's, what's a mistake <laughs> that uh, that a lot of people make? I don't know, you know, whether it's in, a, whether it's in a sole proprietorship, a, th- a therapy practice, or somebody else building a practice, like. What are some of the things out there that people aren't doing right that you you know that you see that you see could be doing better that people could benefit from? I think that one of the biggest mistakes people make is letting their mistakes get them down. The things you mentioned at the beginning of the call are the th- things, the projects I've begun that have found a platform to be known or like have been published. Uh, there are seventy-five percent of my ideas never make it out of my office, mm-hmm. and I know that. I'm a creative person and sometimes I'll say, let's start a training program or let's start a group for this sort of problem and then nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, what do you do with that? What do you do when you put an idea out and it fails? That's where you build your success. I guess that's like the idea would be that's what differentiates the boys from the men. What do you do when you mess up? So one of the things I do in the practice is at the beginning of our team meetings, I share my mistakes of the week Mm -hmm. so that all of the employees and associates know that this is a place where you can mess up and it's welcomed as a part of your growth process. And that makes everyone else feel really safe messing up and taking risks. Yeah. So I would say if there's a one mistake that people make in business, it's thinking that they shouldn't be making mistakes. You should be making mistakes, especially right. when you start out, and that's okay. That's part what? of it. Right. What do? Uh, and how do you? How do you? How do you stop yourself? I don't know if that's the right term, but like, how do you stop yourself from getting discouraged or from, you know, getting down or you know maybe losing confidence in in yourself or in your abilities uh, when you make mistakes? Because we all. I mean, you're right. We all do. Um, you know, how do, how do we, how do we, how do we uh, overcome that, uh, that, that feeling of that potential feeling of discouragement because of it? 
what do you do? I mean, do you have techniques? Do you have uh, like w- w- self-talk? What do you, what, how do you handle that? I think it's just that I have very little ego involved. Like when I mess up, I don't see it as a reflection of me, Sarah, as a person. I just see it as, oh, the world wasn't ready for that idea or I did something that wasn't that effective. Let me see how I can shift it mm-hmm. and adjust it. Don't get so invested. Yeah. Don't confuse your work success with your p- personal value. Your personal value is you're, you're valuable as a person independently of what happens at your, des- at your desk in the office. It is hard. Yeah, it is hard. It is hard to remember. Yeah. And, um, yeah, well, I mean, listen, uh, Dr. Gluck, I really, really, really appreciate you being on today. I think that, uh, I think that people learning how to, how to build up businesses and have, you know, and use kind of an abundance mindset and, a, and, a, and not being shy, not shy, but not being, um, not being, I don't know if you know if stingy is the right word, but, uh, you know, not fearful and not just being so fearful of giving away this or that, that, that you, you know, that you don't that you don't let people have a stake you don't let your people who you who you who you choose to work with and you bring on uh feel like they have a stake feel like they have any sense of ownership in what you're building up which of course then they're just going to go off because you're so fearful of holding on to whatever mm-hmm. you have you know whether it's equity or uh or salary or whatever it is mm-hmm. um so that's it's just a, a you know a really great attitude and uh and hopefully you know it's something that people could take with them and growing their own businesses Again, it's Dr. Sarah Gluck, and uh, you can see her, her. Obviously, you can find her on LinkedIn and see her at Five uh, TWC, one of one of her practices, Five Towns Wellness Center, Five TWC.com. And um, thank you so much for joining us. And and I know that everybody got you know huge huge value from this. I think, and um, just really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm honored to be here, and for all the work that you're doing to help people grow their comp their companies. I think that's really valuable. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, all right. It's been a pleasure and uh, have an amazing day. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.